I mean, I know all us gardeners go overboard when it comes to the pretty seed catalogs and the plant starts at the farmer's market or the nursery, but having a list ahead of time can save you a boatload of money and the stress of figuring out, okay, where in the world are you going to fit those 12 extra plants now? Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Garden Talk Tuesday, we're talking about the importance of keeping a garden journal. But as our first order of business, bienvenido a España. Welcome to the Just Grow Something family to our new listeners in Spain. We are so happy to have you here. That brings us to 12 countries listening, including the United States, but only 38 states in the U.S. I think somebody needs to pick up the slack here. I also want to remind you of the handful of ways that you can support this podcast. This podcast is, of course, a labor of love, but that love costs real money. I mean, let's be honest, doesn't it always? And if you find you get some value from what I talk about each week, you have options to show your support. The first is to download each episode when you listen. Crazy as it sounds, I found out this weekend that none of the statistics I see for this show or anything that the podcast ranking lists see includes when you stream the episode. Those stats and rankings only look at actual downloads. How crazy is that? Now that I know that, I'm downloading the episodes of all my favorite podcasts as I'm listening so I can help them find new listeners and new sponsors. So I hope you'll do the same for this podcast too. So download the episode before or after you are done listening. You can also follow this podcast in your podcast player and opt for automatic downloads if that's an option. Another way to support the show without making any purchase is by rating and reviewing it over on Apple Podcasts. Apple is still the number one way that people find new shows, and the rating and reviewing is an important way to do that. If you're not an Apple user, you can simply download the iTunes app for PC and do your review that way. That's what I did for my favorite podcasts because I am not an Apple person. And of course, there are monetary ways that you can support this podcast, either by making a purchase from one of my very few show sponsors or affiliates, um, or by becoming a patron over on the Patreon page. Patrons get access to exclusive content, hotshot episodes, live Q&A sessions, and so much more based on their support level. That's a monthly monetary commitment to this show, and I hope you'll use the link in the show notes just to at least go check it out. So moving on, let's dig into this week's topic, garden journals. Whether you call it a garden planner, a journal, a notebook, or whatever, a garden journal can be as little or as much as you want it to be. There are some key items, though, that I would recommend every gardener keep in their journal to help them be successful in the garden and to reduce some of the frustration that sometimes, okay, a lot of the times, comes with gardening. 
To be honest, I didn't start keeping a garden journal until just a few years ago, and just the last two years has it really begun to get very detailed. And looking back at that, it's crazy to think that I ran these market gardens on literally what was in my head. I can't tell you how much stress it has taken off of me to be able to look at a glance at what needs to be done and when, what worked and what didn't, what crop family needs to be rotated into what field, which disease or pest pressure we faced, how much was harvested from each crop, and so on and so forth. I honestly can't believe I started a successful market garden with all that info just locked up in my head. And now I understand why my husband would get so frustrated with me. How could he know what was going on if it was all locked away in my brain? I mean, of course, we had whiteboards with daily or weekly tasks listed on them, but all those tasks were dictated by me, and I had to actively sit and think about what needed to be done each week while we were smack dab in the middle of the fray. Now, even if you don't grow a super large garden or multiple gardens, that doesn't mean you won't benefit from a garden journal, and your journal can be anything you want it to be. It can be both a planner and a log, a place for notes and a place for reflection, or any of the above or none of the above. It can be a simple notebook, a three-ring binder, a store-bought planner, or scraps of paper thrown in a shoebox. Okay, I don't recommend that last one, but you get the idea. My version of a garden journal has evolved into what it is, and it works for me, but it may not necessarily work for you. So as I go through what I like to keep in my planner, take from this list what you think you could benefit from and just toss the rest. Use it for a season and then add or subtract from it during the next season based on your results. I'll certainly tell you along the way in this episode which components I think are the most important, but just like in the garden, it's your dream. Cultivate it as you wish. So let's dig into what I keep in my garden journal. First things first, I start in the fall with a plan, and that's PLAN in all capitals because it's more dramatic. Honestly, the planning stage is where I really thrive and get excited for the garden. I sit down in the winter with my planner and a steaming mug of whatever hot beverage I can grab. I put pencil to paper and get working. In my journal, I have the layout of my garden beds on graph paper. These are permanent beds, more or less, and these drawings include the dimensions of each bed. Since I've done this for a few years, I can look at last season's crops and where they were and plan the next year's bed accordingly. So I plan all of my beds on a three to four year rotation of crop families because I have the space to do that. So I don't plant brassicas in the same space for at least three years to avoid the crop pests and the diseases. I mean, honestly, mostly it's the diseases. The pests seem to find the crop no matter where I move them. And you'll likely find that's the case with a smaller garden. It may be impossible for you to rotate those crops out of the garden space. And I'll have some suggestions for that later on in another episode specifically on crop rotation. But if you can at least like move your tomatoes out of one bed or container and put something from a different family in there, it will help. And having a record of what was in that bed the previous years so you can plan for the next season is something you can keep in your garden journal. If you do have a very large garden space and can rotate crop families from bed to bed or plot to plot, this is a great place to put your crop rotation. 
If you tend to plant the same crops over and over again each year, you can plan out your garden beds for literally like the next four years, just using four copies of your garden layout and rotating the crop families through them. This also gives you an opportunity to follow heavy feeders in the garden with either a crop that puts those nutrients back into the soil or with a very light feeding crop behind them. It makes the best use of your soil nutrients at the same time as avoiding plant disease that plague the same family. So this layout also tells me how many seeds or plants I'll need. The size of the bed and the number of beds I dedicate to each crop will tell me how many plants will fit there. So if you lay out your beds or your containers and have the dimensions of those in your garden plan, you can look up the spacing of that crop ahead of time, make a notation of how many plants will fit there right in your little garden map, and then you'll know how many seeds or plants you'll need to buy. I mean, I know. All us gardeners go overboard when it comes to the pretty seed catalogs and the plant starts at the farmer's market or the nursery, but having a list ahead of time can save you a boatload of money and the stress of figuring out, okay, where in the world are you going to fit those 12 extra plants now? It also helps keep you from overcrowding the plants in each bed, which will help fight disease and increase your yield. This is also the place you can plan out the transition from spring to summer to fall if you live in a climate that has all these growing seasons. If you're in a short season climate, this may not apply and you have my condolences. If you're in a year-round growing climate or if you practice any kind of season extension, well, then you can add winter to that list. But having each season laid out on the garden plan will give you a really good idea of where you can interplant things like green onions or lettuces or flowers. It's great to have a spring garden and start the warmer season plants in the understory so they can get some protection and then leave those summer crops in place when you remove the spring crop. Then later on, while those summer crops are still going, you can start the fall plants right back in the understory again and give them some shade from the summer heat, allowing them to flourish once the summer plants are pulled. It's a great space saver and it can choke out weeds too. Putting it on the paper with some dates of what goes in when and what comes out later and then what goes in again and the spacing of all of those plants makes it easier to transition the garden when it's time. Rather than pulling all the spring crops to an empty bed and looking at it and saying, uh-oh, now what? This is also another way to really know ahead of time how many seeds you'll need rather than realizing halfway through the summer that you used all your leafy green seeds in the spring and need to reorder for the fall planting. Been there, done that, <laughs> not so fun. So once I've got my garden laid out and I've got my list of what seeds and plants I'll need, I place my orders or I make my plant purchases. Many gardeners like to keep the receipts for their garden purchases in their journal too. This is a good practice, especially if the goal of your garden is more for sustenance or even as a business and less as a hobby. If you're actively trying to save your family money by growing some of your own food, or if you're trying to profit off your garden, you'll need a way to keep track of it. Keeping those expenses right there in the garden journal means you have easy access to them in a logical place. And this includes not just the seed and the plant purchases, but the soil amendments, the pots, the tools, the supplies, all of it. So the next really important item for me 
is a calendar specific to my garden activities. No matter what size garden or number of containers you have, I've found it's really easy to let tasks go if you don't plan them out. So on my calendar, I have the dates I need to start seeds for them to be ready to transplant, transplanting dates based on historic soil temperatures and air temperatures, dates for adding soil amendments, and projected harvest dates. Heck, you can also give yourself additional weekly reminders like when to start trellising tomatoes or how often to cultivate in between the carrots. If the calendar is only being used for the garden, there's nothing else clogging up the works and it makes it easy to see, at a glance, what needs to be done. Now, how detailed you get is up to you, but having at least the minimum dates listed will prevent you from missing something important, like the proper date to plant the succession crop of green beans to have them in time to preserve for the fall, or the date to plant those pumpkins so the kids have them to carve for Halloween and not a month before or three weeks after. So we've got the garden layout, the seed and the plant list, a place to put the receipts, and a calendar of when each task should be completed. So now that gets us into the planting, growing, and harvesting, the real meat and potatoes of the season, so to speak. So what should we be using our garden journal for during the thick of the season? There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So one thing to keep track of as you're planting is the varieties of each plant. Now, some gardeners simply write down the variety in their journal, but if it's a new variety to you, it may be helpful to keep the seed packet or the plant tag physically in the journal if it has an image of what the mature version of the plant or the fruit is supposed to look like. I remember the first year we planted zebra tomatoes and my husband kept complaining that these tomatoes weren't getting ripe. I had forgotten to tell him they were green zebra tomatoes. Or the year he helped me weed the garden beds only to discover that he had pulled all my beet seedlings because he thought those were the weeds. It's helpful to see what the crop is supposed to look like, especially when you're not familiar with it. There should also be a place in your garden journal to take notes on what's working and what's not. This can be done by bed or by container, by crop, or even just by the date. However you want to organize it, however your brain works. I suggest keeping track of when the crop went in, how it was planted, whether it was seeded directly or planted as a transplant, what pest or disease pressure you notice throughout the season, and a record of the harvest. Again, you can be as detailed as you want, even annotating how often you pruned or how much water the plants got, whether through rainfall or through watering, and when or if you fertilized. 
Or you can just put some general notes about what pests you saw and whether you felt like the harvest was good or not. Don't make it too much work or you just won't do it. I do recommend you take some notes though and do it while it's fresh in your mind. That way, when you go back at the end of the season to start planning for next year, you'll have an idea of what you might want to change, whether you decide to try a different, more disease-resistant variety or a new trellising technique or opt for growing that crop in a pot instead of in the ground. All these things can be changed up to make your garden more successful and more enjoyable, but it's hard to remember all these things in the middle of the off-season when the season is over. I will say, if you are prone to a lot of diseases or pest pressure, the more detailed you can be here, the better. If you annotate the dates of when these pests showed up and when you saw the pressure ease, you can actually begin to plan your planting dates around when those pests appear, oftentimes making it a more successful yield. You can also keep track of what measures you took to knock those pests down and how effective they were. So you know that if it's something you can use again the next season or if you'll need to find something else to use. Keeping track of when the plants began blooming and when they started producing is another interesting fact to track because then you can see how that compares to the number of days to maturity listed on the seed packet or the plant tag. Those numbers are always estimates based on ideal growing conditions, and hardly any of us have those. Plus, the soil temperature and the number of hours above a certain temperature can have a large impact on those days to maturity. So you may discover that you don't need to rush to get your peppers in the ground because the ones you planted early and the ones that got in late all matured at the same time, and that was completely different from the number of days that was listed on the plant tag. It's just really good information to have. Annotations about the weather can also be key here. If you don't make notes about the average temperatures, the rainfall, early or late frosts, any, any number of conditions, you may look at your journals from one year to the next and have no context for why the tomatoes produced so early and so long one year, but matured so late and bore so few fruits the next. It may simply be based on the weather, but you won't know that. It's really difficult to remember from one year to the next what the weather conditions were, so write it down. And if you're growing perennials, this is something else you can track in your garden journal. Dates for when trees or canes need to be fed or pruned, when bulbs need to be divided, um, when it's time to renovate a strawberry bed. All those things can be kept track of in the garden journal. Now, if you really want to know how your garden was doing at different times of the season, take some pictures. Now, I know we've all got pictures on our phones that we can scroll through, but make an effort to print a few out at different intervals during the season and put them in the garden journal. Or, at the very least, make a separate folder on your phone or your computer for those digital images. That way, you have something to reference when you're reviewing your journal at the end of the season, especially if you come across a note that's not so clear. It's also helpful for identifying insects in the garden later on. It's hard sometimes to discern the good guys from the bad guys when you're in the middle of a harvest, and so taking a picture will give you the opportunity to look it up later on. Now, if you really want to get detailed, you can not only take notes of how much you harvested, 
But you can also use your garden journal as a place to keep track of what you preserved too. Whether you're canning, freezing, dehydrating, or any other method of preserving your garden goodness, it might be handy to have on hand while you're planning for the next season. If one of your goals, for example, is to have enough green beans canned up to last your family for the winter, but you don't have enough to get through February, you'll know you need to plan to grow more beans the next season. Or if you ended up with way too much sweet corn in the freezer, you may decide that freezing five dozen ears of corn is too much for two people, even with the occasional large family dinner with the kids and the grandkids. If I sound like I'm speaking from experience, I am. All these little details add up to make a more successful and enjoyable garden experience. Feeling overwhelmed yet? I want to sit on the word enjoyable for a minute. Because if you're not a note taker or you have a hard time remembering to write things down when you get back in from the garden, that's okay. None of these things are requirements. They're just handy tools that may help you get more out of your garden. So if you find that taking too many notes becomes overwhelming, just keep a small notebook and a pen or a pencil with your garden tools so you can jot down notes while you're actually in the garden. Just put a date at the top of the page, make the note you need to make, put it back in with the garden tools, and be done with it. You'll still glean valuable information out of that little notebook at the end of the season that will help you in planning for your next garden. And that gets me to the other type of garden journaling. Many people enjoy sitting in their garden to write their daily journal entries, and you can use your garden journal as a place for that too. If you find your garden is a great place for reflection or a devotional or a place to write poetry or music, there's nothing that says that that can't all go in the garden journal too. There are free tools online for how to keep a garden journal, and there are some fellow gardeners and podcasters that have their own printable planners that you can download for free or for a small fee. I know Jill over at the Beginning Gardener podcast has some basic downloadable garden journal pages for like less than 10 bucks on her website, and there's tons of printed bound resources out there too from folks like the Royal Horticulture Society and um, you know, all kinds of different ones from blank canvases to five-year planners and everything in between. So if you're into like really cool looking journals and that inspires you to take action, then go for it. If you're on a budget and you just want something you can print out and put in a three ring binder, that works too. And if you're just not sure about this whole garden journal thing, grab a notebook and just keep track of what you can. Anything you do is going to be better than nothing. I hope this episode gave you something to think about. I will say that if you're going to do anything, then my top priorities would be the garden layout and the notes about what worked and what didn't. If you can start there and maybe add the calendar of tasks for good measure, you'll be well on your way to improving both your harvest and your garden experience. Join me back here on Friday for July's Can You Dig It episode, where I will share some interesting articles, answer some listener questions, and give away another Clyde's Garden Planner. Until then, have a great week in the garden. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. 
Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.